Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. What's going on, Addy Hour fam? Welcome to part two of our episode on thriving or burnout in mentoring, pastoring, service, and vocation. We had a great episode last week with Dr. Christine Fund. This week, we're joined by Dr. David Ireland, and we're going to continue and extend that conversation, also thinking about aspects of leadership as well. So just by way of introduction, I want to let you all know a little bit about Dr. Ireland. He is the founder and lead pastor of Christ Church, which is a 10,000-member multi-site congregation in North Jersey. It has over 70 nationalities represented in that congregation, and he is someone who has a lot of leadership experience as well. He also is someone who is important in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. He's been a diversity consultant to the NBA. He's also led chapel services for the New York Giants, the New York Jets, and also the U.S. Pentagon. He's also a prolific author of over 25 books, so someone who has had a lot of influence in a lot of different spheres. He also holds a range of different degrees, so he has graduate degrees in engineering, also in theology, and organizational leadership, and also in social innovation. So I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation that we had, again, kind of continuing this theme of thinking about thriving or burnout, practical ways that we can do that and ways we can also create cultures and environments that facilitate those times of productivity and sacred rhythms of rest as well. Just want to remind you all as well that I do have a new newsletter. So if you want to check that out, you can find it on Substack. You can read it there. You can subscribe. You can also go straight to the URL. So niiaddy.substack.com and you can find that newsletter. Lots of different topics I'm talking about there about my journey and also kind of amplifying and going into more depth about some of these podcast conversations as well. So again, really glad that you all are here. Do also want to take a time to acknowledge the timing of this episode release as well. So this episode is coming out on February 1st, so the start of Black History Month, something that's very important, obviously, for us in this country, but unfortunately also comes on the heels of what has been a very difficult week and a very difficult few weeks with everything that's been going on around the conversation of the tragic and unfortunate killing of Tyree Nichols, again, another Black man, killed at the hands of police. And this, of course, is coming on the heels of ongoing tragedies, even as we took time to pause with everything that happened in California with the shootings again, which should have been at a time of celebration with the Lunar New Year. But again, we see just the, the ugliness of these incidents that continue to happen. And so I did want to take time to acknowledge that. 
There are a range of emotions that I've been feeling that many of you have been feeling as well as they always are during these times. Grief and mourning, the anger, the frustration, uh, sometimes feelings of hopelessness. And so I did want to just take time to pause and acknowledge that and also to remind all of you as listeners just to give yourself time to process and to support one another as well. Even in this episode, as we're thinking about things like thriving and burnout, to also acknowledge that this trauma from seeing these images, the vicarious trauma from thinking about these things, that is real. Many people and experts have talked about that. And there may be things that you feel at different points in time that hit you. So to give yourself time to pause, to know that it can also affect how you navigate through the day. And as we think about this aspect of thriving or burnout, knowing that can also lead to places where you're feeling stretched thin. I know for me, I've had to be very intentional about having those times of reflection, um, but then just also having times to, to step away um, from going too deep into that. Many psychologists have suggested not to watch that video and just the imprint that it can leave on you. That's a personal decision you all have to make, but I also just want to extend just my, my sympathies to, to the family members, to, to the friends, to the entire community, and for what a lot of us are navigating through. Obviously, it has been said in many places, you should still be here. That is just the reality. That's not something that we can change, but we can honor his life, and hopefully we will get to a place of having true change. So again, obviously a somber moment, but I did want to take time and acknowledge that as well. Um, so with that, I hope you all are doing the best as you can to take care of yourselves, to practice that self-care, to be in support, to be in community with one another. And I hope that as you listen to this episode, that even as you're thinking about some of those things, that you'll be able to think about that and, as well and know that we are all here for each other. Um, even in the way that we had this episode, even though it was recorded before these police videos were released, to know that the tone of that also is in that state of support and how we can support each other as a community. So with that, I hope that you all get a lot out of this episode. I think you're really going to uh, be encouraged by it. And there's a lot that Dr. Ireland shared that will really be beneficial and uplifting for all of us. So enjoy. Well, it's my pleasure again to be able to host this conversation. It's been a while since we've had consistent episodes, but I'm really excited that we are moving into that in 2023. And this is a topic that we'll be talking about today that a lot of you have been asking about in terms of burnout, something that is definitely relevant that a lot of us experience, um, maybe in the midst of, or maybe on the verge of, or coming out of. So again, I think this is just going to be a, a wonderful conversation, part two, in a sense, as we already have talked with Chris Fund, and really just excited to be able to host Dr. David Ireland on the Addy Hour podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Addy. Of you know, course. It's a joy. Yeah. And I know we were talking a little bit offline before we started the recording, but I want to give you all just an introduction to Dr. Island. I know you've heard the intro um, that I gave, but just to give you a sense of who he is, because so many things that he is about really are embedded in our podcast conversation. Too many things for us to, to talk about in the one conversation today, but also just want to give you all a sense of who he is. And even as you heard from Dr. Fun, knowing that she was also excited about this dialogue today. So Dr. Allen, if you could just give us a little bit about your journey into ministry, I guess going all the way as far back as you want to go, but maybe starting from your college days uh, to here and how you've gotten to this place. Well, my pleasure. I actually was uh, an atheist. I told people I was a scientific atheist mm. from, you know, from the teenage years. And I started college at 16 
And I did my first degree in engineering, mechanical engineering. And then when I graduated at 20, and I went into graduate school, did a mechanical, did a master's in civil engineering. And so I worked in that profession. But at the age of 20, I had this life transforming experience or series of experiences. And that's where I became then, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, I didn't even realize I was praying. I just got to the, in my the end of my rope so to speak and mm. after graduating i started thinking what's there must be more to life than making a lot of money marrying a pretty wife you know having the nice house even though i had none of those things <laughs> <laughs> and, and i said i remember sitting on the edge of my dormitory bed and i said god if you're real change me mm. and and he changed me and i my outlook, my worldview was changed. The way I thought about myself was changed. And then I started to build this relationship with Jesus Christ. And I practiced engineering for about six years, you know, after graduate school, you know, and, uh, and then I transitioned into ministry, went to mm. seminary, then went on, did a PhD, then did lots of postdoctoral work. I'm a school guy. Mm. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so that's where I was. I did my last uh, degree at postgraduate degree at uh, University of Cambridge in England, you know, in social innovation. You know, and so yeah, I'm always learning and trying to grow. Right. Well, you're you're in good company be, being a school guy, and I know that a lot of our <laughs> listeners will be able to relate to that as well. Um, but even those who maybe haven't been lifelong people in our education spaces who are just continuing to learn in so many different ways. So appreciate you sharing that story as well. Um, and just to unpack a little bit, I know we were talking about your most recent degree, but if you could tell our listeners about some of the work that you've done um, over the years in terms of what you talked about in terms of cultural competency, because a lot of those things are also near and dear to what we've talked about on this podcast. My research interest has always been diversity, more, more particularly building multiracial organizations. Mm -hmm. And so when I did my dissertation uh, years ago, about 20 years ago, it was on the black-white relationship in large multiracial churches in America mm -hmm. to understand that. Mm -hmm. This most recent dissertation was on how do you help white leaders enjoy developing a lifestyle of intercultural competence? I mean, how do you, because right now, a lot of white males particularly feel demonized when it comes to having conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so you know, I, I have then worked on that space. And so I do consulting for, you know, some of the major corporations. In addition to being a pastor, I, I provide, I'm a pastor of a church, about 10,000 people and has 75, or I should say 70 different nationalities. Mm -hmm. And so I provide leadership to Asians, whites, uh, Native Americans, Blacks, Latinos, you know, you know, so the whole spectrum, so to mm -hmm. speak. And so I'm honored to do that. And, and I say that, and I give that information because the racially diverse church in America is a very rare animal. And for mm -hmm. someone then to be of color leading a racially mm. diverse church. Mm -hmm. That's even, you know, that's like an Elvis sighting, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it represents less than 1%, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, statistically. So it's very rare, but it's an intentional process. You don't bring about diversity by happenstance. There's, mm -hmm. there's intentionality, there's planning, and there's a lot of heart change and introspection, those kinds of searching and probative investigative things so you can be able to understand. You know, so it's almost even like when I deal with preaching, I've gone through where you have individuals who listen to your sermons, be it black, white, Asian, mm -hmm. atheist, agnostics, and, and they give feedback. 
How, how am I being interpreted? Mm. How am I coming across? What are you hearing? In other words, am I speaking cross-culturally? Am I speaking to everybody? Mm. And unless we go through that type of you know, reflection and mm. you know, I should say that exercise, we don't know how we're coming across. Yeah. We don't know how we're being interpreted. Yeah. Well, I appreciate putting that all in context. And I mean, I 100% agree in terms of the rarity of what you're doing as a black male leader as well and how that's not often the case. But it's really refreshing to hear also how much you are a learner and a listener, even as you listen to that feedback. And I, I'd imagine that's that's also facilitated your effectiveness over the years in just the different spaces that God has placed you in. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I had the opportunity to speak in some 75 countries. Mm -hmm. One of the countries I remember going to, I was in Zambia. Mm -hmm. So you think that this South Central African country that you know, I'll be able to be a winner when I get there, so to speak. <laughs> and, and, my, and I'm in Lusaka, the capital. And so this is a group of about 8,000 leaders that were there. Mm -hmm. And so when I started, after my first talk, I can feel there was this gap between me and them. And so I asked the host, I said, am I correct in my perception that there's this wall between us, mm. between me and the, and, and the uh, leaders that are there? And he said, you're correct. And I said, why is that there? I've not, I don't know them. I have not done anything to them. And they said this to me, which I'll never forget. He said that because you're an American and they think that you're going to hurt them. Mm. So I had to, in order to get a, to, to break that wall down, even though we shared the same race, different nationality, different culture, but we had the same racial makeup, both being black. Mm -hmm. You know, the diff, the gap was, or I should say, in order for me to be successful in the, that conversation and that series of, of conference meetings, I had to become more vulnerable. So the more I was able to display a common humanity, that's when they dropped their guards because they put mm -hmm. me they put me beforehand in a category that says you're an American, and Americans will think that they think they're better than us and we are quote unquote poor Africans. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to be hurt again. And so they had that predisposition mm -hmm. before I even opened my mouth. Right. And so I had to help get around that. But this, this similar things happen no matter what country you're in, you find that you have to have those conversations. And to your point, to be a learner, I have to ask people, how am I being interpreted? Mm -hmm. What am I, what, how am I coming across? And I must then be willing to shift and pivot quickly so I can be engaging with that particular audience. Mm. Well, I really appreciate that story and your, your just your openness to that as well. And I think that speaks volumes just to even the assumptions that we carry into places, um, regardless of whether we intend to or not, both from the perspective of those who are listening and from you coming into that place and not even expecting that. So I think that's really, yeah, really powerful. But, you know, as we've been talking and you've been sharing, again, about all these different things that you do, several of which, again, tie into the uh, podcast episodes, I'm trying not to go too far astray and bring us back to the topic at hand as well, but just thought it would be helpful for our listeners to kind of have that context. Um, but it's funny, you know, as I was reading your bio and thinking about all the different things that you're doing, some of what you're sharing there and this topic about burnout, my mind immediately went to a place of how is this person not spread too thin in all the things that they do? So I wonder if you could also just share with our listeners as well, um, your just your your structure, as it were, in terms of how you lead. And then also, I know we'll get into this, this topic of burnout, but what your experience has been, either from your own personal experience or from those that you lead on this topic of burnout. I appreciate the question. And I'll be very candid with you is that I would look back maybe 20 years ago, mm -hmm. I, you know, I only knew one speed. I just, 
<laughs> you know, it's like, that's how I, I lived. I was just mm. working. You know, I tell people my love language is productivity. <laughs> the, the more you produce, the more I feel wow. loved. Yeah. I don't need a hug. I just need, I just, it's like, almost like that uh, line on the Amazon website. Where's my stuff? Mm-hmm. I, I, just, <laughs> yeah. I just want my stuff. Yeah. And so, but over the years, the mm. last 20 years, I've had to put in place what I call sacred rhythms. Mm. So for me, you know, one of the things I have to do since I'm uh, the public speaker, I'll, I'll speak more, no more than four weeks in a row as a pastor and then take two weeks off. Mm. And I'm saying that because it was a study that was done years ago on a university in Texas that said one hour of public speaking is equal to eight hours of manual labor. So your wow. body actually goes through the physical shock like I was doing a construction worker's job because it's very emptying, very draining. When you do that week after week after week, after a while, you can become a basket case. Mm. So thankfully, I was able to then, to, to create the sacred rhythms, you have to have effective teams. So I took time, I took a step back and started to train people, individuals that were very competent, that had gifts, skills. It took time to do that. Mm. And you know, I remember the Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. I had been in the first 20 years of of ministry running fast. Now I run together. Mm -hmm. And so I slowed down, put in place gifted leaders, trained them, took the time to train them, Mm -hmm. the time to to coach them and to make sure and mentor them so that I can be able to have these sacred rhythms Mm -hmm. and then put that in help put that that structure in place for themselves so they won't experience burnout Mm. yeah that's really powerful um in a lot of ways and actually makes me think about some of the topics that chris fund was talking about as well but then even as i'm listening to you talk i'm also just thinking that some people may be hearing this and thinking well i don't have i don't have a space to actually slow down and take that time or even when we were talking about the burnout conversation as well one of the things that she brought up was just you know, when people are mentoring so many different students or training others, feeling the guilt or feeling like there isn't enough room to actually slow down to get to that place. So what, what would you say to someone like that who is feeling that tension in a very acute kind of way? And I realize I have a certain privilege because you know, I'm, I'm the, the lead guy, so to mm-hmm. speak, in my organization. Mm-hmm. So I really set my schedule. But I would say to that person in a very empathetic way to say, there are things that can contribute to recharging. For example, mm. getting away. Getting away could be, you know, it's changing space. That means, for example, beauty recharges the heart. Mm. It's going into places where you feel energized. Uh, you know, it's whether it's going to a museum, whether it's going to even the mall, and you don't have to shop to, and lose money in order to get recharged. <laughs> but it's just it's 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 beauty that recharges you. Not only getting away. But getting together, socialize the social aspect, friends that you know, it's having conversations. And it doesn't have to be heady technical conversations. It's just, how are you doing? It's talking. It's just talking. There's some people that are I'm very close with when we get together and talk, it's as if everybody else in the room is, is invisible mm-hmm. because we're so absorbed in the conversation that, and, and the conversation, again, may not be technical or heady, but it's just the company. So I would encourage individuals that say, look, I can't, I can't take time off, but you can take respites. Mm-hmm. You can take you know, a couple hours break. You can do certain things. So I would say you get away, you get together, and, and you get alone. 
you know, the place of being alone is a very important place because, you know, it's, it, it recharges you when you're able to think, process your feelings, get in touch with yourself, ask yourself questions like, who am I? Who am I becoming? Who do I want to be? Mm. And when you ask those kinds of pensive, reflective questions in this mm. quiet space, you know, it, it's amazing. Mm. Yeah, that's really well said. And I'm sure that listeners will be able to take that in and, and enjoy that as well. And in a sense, I don't know if this is the case for you, but it made me think in a sense about the juxtaposition to the, what you talked about earlier, just going, 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 going. I know for me, if I'm in that mode talking to others, it's often not time to reflect and to pause. Correct. And sometimes, I mean, I've had this experience with my students as well. That place feels productive to them, but it actually becomes very inefficient because they're going so hard they don't actually think through things as well as they could. And the pausing actually creates more space and increases the productivity of whatever work they may be involved in as well. So I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. In fact, Henry Nguyen, the gifted author and theologian, said that a person without a, a quiet space, a lonely place, it's dangerous. Mm. So, so we all need to have that that those quiet moments where we reflect, mm -hmm. and and even if it again is half an hour <laughs> over the course of a day, mm. you just need to be able to sit. You can have you know quiet music or sometimes mm -hmm. no music and just sit there and just enjoy the sacredness of 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 the quiet space. It mm. recharges you. Mm -hmm. In fact, a sign of burnout is when there are more mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and because you're busy all the time so you're not as thoughtful not as reflective uh, another sign is a lack of creativity so mm -hmm. it's almost like the soul has a dashboard mm -hmm. and when you're going through burnout some things increases other things decrease those are signs it's almost like when you're looking at the dashboard of your car if you're driving and the things that decrease you see the fuel level decreases the heat increases of the engine mm -hmm. and if you're not careful you know when we're not looking at the dashboard of our souls and being in touch with ourselves we don't know where that verge of mm -hmm. burnout mm -hmm. and so when you find someone just go off the rails you think it just happened no it didn't just happen yeah. it was it was over a period of time and they just weren't monitoring the dashboard of their souls looking at mm -hmm. the things that were increasing the things that are decreasing and so yeah so some of the things that that increase is cynicism mm -hmm. You know, when someone's at the verge of burnout, they're, they're more sarcastic, they're, you know, they're jaded, they have this sense of humor that's biting, and, and it may sound witty and clever, but it's dangerous. And what's even more dangerous is that mm. oftentimes the cynic is accurate, mm. but, the, but their cynicism yeah. is very destructive. Mm. And so it's a sign, though, the increased cynicism is a sign that you're on the verge of burnout. You know, and so I, I wanted you know the listeners to be very cautious of that. It's not being witty per se. Mm. It it's it's showing you that you're empty. You're mm. getting empty. You're becoming empty. Yeah, that's really important, and I'm I'm glad you're bringing that up as well. Would you say that people just making maybe more of a societal conversation and perspective are we becoming more aware of that and paying more attention to it? Because I can see different ways that that cynicism may be interpreted or even rewarded per se, because people may still be able to be quote unquote productive or effective, even if they are getting to that place of burnout. So what, what has been your observation in that sense? I think in a technical sense, I think that individuals who know what to look for 
Mm. It's almost like a person who's experienced as a parent understands when they see, you know, someone with a child, a young child, and they're just letting them do the running, letting them run wild. They don't understand what's going to happen 20 years from now. Mm. And so an experienced person sees it and understands it. An inexperienced person doesn't. A careful person who cares about the individual will bring that out to them in a respectful, honoring way. Someone that doesn't really doesn't care. They just want to use them and just they'll work them and almost like drive them to the ground, you know, give me my stuff and then move on. And they don't care wow. about the person. So, uh, you know, but uh, I, I know that uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation did mm -hmm. a study in 2020 where they engaged the Queensland's Queensland University. And they did a study to try to find out the post the, the impact of of COVID in you know in regards to the, the burnout, the mental issues, the mm -hmm. mental health. And they saw that there's a 28% increase in this, in these social disorders as a result of you know the pandemic, the stressors, depressive disorder, anxiety disorder. So depressive disorder shot up globally 28 percent mm -hmm. you know anxiety disorder increased by 26 percent globally just because of the pandemic and and it, and not that we even changed behaviors just the stressors of living in our society and so i would say that you know particularly people that are in leadership roles have to deal with individuals all the time you know they have to think about the mental health piece mm -hmm. and and give people spaces to recharge you know, it's, you know, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. And I'd be curious if there are, you know, any anecdotes or stories or perspectives you can share on just if there are ways that you've actually just tried to facilitate that. Because again, me being outside of being in a pastoral ministry role, but just seeing the conversation shift, especially from as a mental health advocate, it seems that in the past, a lot of that has been pushed to the side or not acknowledged in, in the roles when people are pastors and ministers and the expectation just continue to meet people's needs and meet people's needs without necessarily being as attentive to mental their own mental health needs or burnout. And so what has been your experience in terms of receptivity and how have you tried to facilitate that as well? I think having conversations like this in a very frank, direct, honest way has been very helpful. And mm -hmm. so I've made it a very public issue. I've spoken on it tons of times, mm -hmm. not only to my staff. I have a staff of about 100 people, mm -hmm. and, uh, and my leadership team is about 500 uh, leaders. And wow. so I've had to then work with these men and women from at different stages in life and their careers mm -hmm. and things like that in order to be able to say, let's put certain things in place. And so we'll put you know, specific things in place, such as you know, these sacred rhythms I talk about for those who are part of our teaching team. We mm. have the sabbatical, the concept of, of, of the sabbatical after mm. six years of ministry. You know, they take three months off and they recharge. We have also there are times where we'll put their names on, on the schedule where it says, like for me, no David Ireland. So no DI weekend. That mm. means I'm off the grid. Mm. No one's going to be able to get a hold of me. <laughs> That's and, good. So, and, and even for the staff, we there are times that they work from home, there are times that they work you know, they're physically there in the office, and we mm -hmm. give them an opportunity to say, give us input. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. We we've, we created the chaplaincy program, you know, so that you know, even for the staff to say, okay, you go and meet with, you know, the chaplains that we have on staff, the mental health professionals, unpack whatever needs to be unpacked so that mm -hmm. you, we want you to be mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. And so we have that. You know, and then the check-ins periodically just to say, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, because, you know, oftentimes you don't see mm -hmm. 
the signs because if if one of the signs is productivity but there are other signs yeah. you know <laughs> the loss of empathy you know the issue of compassion fatigue you know where i'm tired of caring i don't mm. i don't care anymore it's too yeah. exhausting and, and and if you're particularly when you're in a caring profession when you're tired of caring <laughs> there's a problem yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I mean, that's very encouraging to hear in the way that you've described it, that you've built it into the culture as well. Yes. Um, and, and it seems like also leading by example, even in your own, because you talked about those rhythms in your own life and making sure that that's baked in for everyone else. Are there ways that you've seen that um, perpetuate amongst your staff and amongst your community just as, as you've kind of tried to bake it in? Yeah, uh, what I've seen is that they've accepted the limitations mm. and, and limitations in the sense that not everyone has the same capacity. There's some people that can juggle 15 balls at the same time. Others, they can only juggle two. Mm -hmm. And one's not better than the other. They're just different. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be aware of that. The same way children, I'm not going to expect a six-year-old to be able to speak as eloquently as a 15-year-old or, mm -hmm. you know, or the six-year-old to be as patient as, <laughs> as, as, as a college student. I, mm -hmm. I just won't expect that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to place pressures on them. So to answer your question, mm -hmm. people have accepted their limitations, accepted mm -hmm. their capacity, and accepted the frequency of what they need. Mm -hmm. I remember several years ago, my wife and I were hosting a marriage seminar for a group. And at one point in the seminar, my wife spoke to all the husbands in a separate room. Mm -hmm. I spoke to all the wives. And so mm -hmm. that's always dangerous because <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> but and, and after the, the after the presentation, some of the women asked questions. One woman was very vulnerable. She said, my husband and I, we have two special needs kids. And I find myself yelling at them mm. so frequently, you know, how do I deal with that? And my answer to her, it seemed as if I wasn't even listening to her question. I asked because my answer raised another question. I said to her, how often do you take vacation? And then she paused because she there had not been a frequency of vacation. And I said, let's not even talk about a vacation where you go away for a couple of weeks. How often do you take a respite from providing the care to your children? And I said to her, it's not that you're not a bad mother. Mm. You're just a tired mother. Mm. And you just and what you need is to build then these sacred rhythms in your life. And you may need more of that because your children have special needs. Mm. And so it requires a more frequent respite than someone who may not be caring for special needs children. And I think it's giving people permission wow. to say, you're a human being and, and don't label yourself in a, in a moralized way when the answer is, the problem is not a moral problem. The problem is a behavioral one. Mm -hmm. It's in the sense that you just need respites in your life. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and sometimes for us, it's philosophical. And, mm -hmm. and and even cultural. If you come from a culture that says, "Look, if you take a break, you're lazy and you're mm -hmm. and you're bad," you know, then we need to reframe what uh, the problem really is. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful, so well said. It actually relates directly to even a question that Dr. Fun and I were talking through yesterday in that conversation. You know, in terms of mentoring and educating, but also in ministry, the challenge of saying no to someone in need. So in that example you gave, even someone with special needs children, it seemed like part of it was, I can't say no to them because I have to be there for them and keep to continue. So one thing that Chris Fund raised as well was just, you know, that tension and something that she had been thinking through and wrestling, even as we were preparing for this episode about with her own Christian life experience as well. 
and the concept of selfless love and those types of things. And how do we navigate in that space actually saying no to someone that's in need versus quote unquote self-care when that doesn't always fit the narrative that we are taught about or taught or, or taught and talk about. So I think the way you describe that is really helpful. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to kind of add to that add question. To that, and mm-hmm. I think I would add to it that it's not wrong for me to provide care for myself. It's almost like the dialogue that we hear when we when we get on an airplane. They tell us, look, first put your own mask on before you help that person, whether you're a child or an aged parent, to mm-hmm. put on their mask. So and it seems almost you know, almost contrary to, to logic, but it is logical. Mm-hmm. And so when I care for myself, and and I'm and, and it's not about you know, me being egotistical or feeling that I'm more valuable than the other. Mm-hmm. It's about, I can't be of any value to anyone mm-hmm. if I'm falling apart or if I'm mm-hmm. so broken or if I'm so needy, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so I it's really, it's, it's, it's about planning. Mm-hmm. And so even to that mom with the special needs children, it's about planning where you can say, look, I'm going to hire a babysitter. I'm going to get you know my parents to come and sit for you know a Friday evening so mm-hmm. my husband and I can go out to the movies or mm-hmm. it, it's a it's about putting some structure in place that's practical mm-hmm. to have these respites so that you can function in an emotionally mm-hmm. healthy way. It's needed. Yeah. Yeah, I highly agree. Just to push the envelope a little bit further because I know again this is just something that I know people are wrestling with. So even with all of those good practices, there's still sometimes that feeling of guilt that I'm still not doing what I should or, or perfectionism or even a mixture of the two, like how, so how have you kind of helped people and maybe it's just practice and time, but really kind of move from that either for themselves, or I would say even the stigma that comes. Cause even as we've talked about, you know, people in leadership, pastors and ministers having more space for themselves, it seems that when there is a breakdown, it's still so easy for many of us to get to that place of judgment like, oh, well, how could they, how could they falter? They're, they're supposed to be the model. We're looking up to them. If they're, if they're struggling, then how, how are the rest of us supposed to be able to, to make it through and we're quote unquote following them? And I'll say that there are times when I take breaks, I still at times struggle with a little bit of guilt saying, look, I mm-hmm. should be doing this, or I should be <laughs> busy doing that, or mm-hmm. that thing is hanging over my head. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I've never completely overcome the idea mm-hmm. of that. And I think in some regards, it's always going to be there yeah. because it's just the human experience. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it's okay. That's the mm. point I'm, I'm bringing yeah. out. I think the tension of saying the things I can do, but yet I need time to recharge, that tension is going to be there. And I think the tension is healthy because it's saying in essence that I want to be responsible and mm. I want to maintain a lifestyle of being responsible in all of my areas of of oversight so to speak mm-hmm. but in the same breath i'm going to make sure i take care of me and mm-hmm. i and i think that's something that's so important i mm-hmm. can't just soldier on and think that it's okay it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way yeah yeah well i think that's so important just not we can't pretend that the guilt's not there and to still yeah. experience it but to know that it's still a process that we're moving through as well i think it's really helpful and, and it's a learned it's a learned experience even mm-hmm. Jesus in sacred scripture tells his disciples after a busy stint of ministry, he says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so he's saying to them, look, you guys don't just soldier on, even though what you're doing is so critical. And he himself has that critical mm-hmm. leader. He's mm-hmm. saying, look, I need to recharge because if I don't recharge, I'm not going to be effective. 
or I'm not going to continue being effective. And mm-hmm. he was teaching them that discipline of really safeguarding their mental health. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really well said. So as we've been talking, just to pivot a little bit, I'm also you know, I'm wondering a little bit about legacy in a sense, but then also thinking about the next generation. And one reason that came up, you know, as we're talking about the increased rates of depression, increased rates of anxiety, obviously that's been a topic of conversation um, for our youth as well. So I'm curious if that's something that you've thought about that's coming into play as you've talked about a lot of these principles or even burnout and how, if that is the case, how you've tried to not translate, but try to impart that on the next generation as well. I think I'm involved in succession planning. I do consulting in in that regard as well with mm-hmm. senior leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, and and but to your point, I think it's really helping to create a cultural awareness and a personal philosophy of leadership that says, take sacred, take or establish and safeguard sacred rhythms. Mm-hmm. So you're teaching them. They're doing it anyway, but they're doing it under the principle that may be very quote-unquote unhealthy Mm. and so i encourage parents i said look when your children have been in school all day and when they come home don't just simply say don't go do your homework let them take a break Mm -hmm. let them recharge (laughs) and i I think that and for some parents it took a long time to wrap their minds around that because they came from a family of origin that says go do your homework Mm -hmm. and then you can relax and i said flip the switch let them Mm -hmm. relax put some time constraints on it and then have them do their homework. So this way they feel emotionally whole. Because mm-hmm. I think that we're, if we're creating children and even the next generation that are emotionally unhealthy, they won't have longevity. And I think the the proof of a good mental health is that there's sustainability. There's mm-hmm. longevity. You're not mm-hmm. just, uh, you're not doing something quick and then after five years you're burnt out. You know, right. it, there must be some sustainability to what you do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, really well said as well. Um, and, it, and even in terms of this burnout conversation, is that a conversation that you feel like is helpful that you've been able to have with young people as well? And if, are the signs different or is it similar to what you mentioned before even in terms of some of that cynicism both, and lack of empathy? I think both is the, the title. If you use the title burnout, it drives people away. It's almost... <laughs> <laughs> but if I, if I use the word sustainability if i mm. <laughs> i have to <laughs> i have to wordsmith it in order to yeah. make it attractional because yeah. if i say for example how to avoid burnout no one's coming to that mm. to that <laughs> seminar but if i say <laughs> how to be effective for a long time okay i'm mm. going <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so it's almost uh reframing the statement so it becomes a uh, quote-unquote sexy and attractive to yeah. leaders both young and old and that's mm-hmm. what I found to be the case. So I've had to change titles, mm-hmm. <laughs> having been the recipient of saying, I'm not going to that workshop. I'm going yeah. to the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Making it palatable and attractive to people. So exactly. I mean, the Especially packaging. Culture. Yeah. 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 Well, I know we already had uh, Chris Fund on, but I'm curious if there are any, uh, maybe I'll figure out a way to do this, but if there was anything, if she was here, if there's any questions you would have posed to her in terms of the mentorship piece, you know, talking specifically in academic spaces or training or just any thoughts around that? I'm mentoring as well. I think every space there's mentoring because there has Mm -hmm. to be succession. You have to pass on to others the Mm -hmm. things you've learned over the years. And Mm -hmm. I I think I would just commend her for Mm -hmm. the, the discipline of saying, I have a responsibility to the next generation. Mm -hmm. They 
should build on the things uh, that I've built, so to speak. And so they mm. stand on my shoulders so they can go farther mm. you know, and be able to do more things. And so it does require then for me to look behind and say, mm. let's let's pull them forward. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I, I, I had this conversation. It was me and about maybe 20 or 30 other people. Mm-hmm. I served on the executive committee for the last crusade of dr billy graham's life Mm, it was was the crusade of 2005 in new york city Mm -hmm. and i remember dr graham said something he said this he said i wish i had made friends that were a lot younger than me wow because all my friends have died and so, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's one of those, sometimes you hear something, you write it down, other times it's written on you. That yeah. was written on me. Yeah. So to, you know, to Chris Fund and to others, other mentors, I would say, being a mentor means that you're making friends with people that are younger, the protege, mm. younger in experience, younger in age. But mm. this is what one of the quintessential leaders, uh, Dr. Billy Graham, you know, was, was remiss about saying, man, I wish I would have spent more time doing that. And so it's, you know, and, and I, and I think it's a, it's dangerous when we only are concerned about ourselves and our uh, pushing things forward and our level of productivity and building quote unquote, our kingdoms and our organizations. So there must be a, a turning around to the next generation to say, I have a responsibility to help you guys fulfill your destiny and your, and create legacy for you. So let me spend myself helping you. So, so, so in other, in other words, I have to recharge because I have a responsibility to the next yeah. generation. Yeah. So if I don't maintain my own mental health, then I'm being irresponsible as a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, even thinking of my own journey, you know, as things have moved over the years, that that tendency and that pull sometimes to to shift, to continue to mentor, but to shift the circle, as it were, to yes. to peers in order to learn from them and things. But that, and that, that comment that you mentioned, it's so powerful of what can be missed if that goes too far and just the power of that. And Chris mentioned that as well, just the privilege of being able to mentor and impact the next generation. So I think that's that's really something that will definitely sit with me as well. And I'm sure with our listeners. I appreciate that. And it, it still sits with me also because mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I have that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And then I know Emma keep bringing things up that she said as well, but just to tie them together, just the 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 modeling and the example that can come from that as well. So one thing that she shared about one of the studies that they had done uh, specifically around burnout was just asking some of those who are being mentored about their experiences. And some of them, you know, this can fit into pastoral care as well, but looking at mentors and thinking that those individuals never dealt with things like burnout or some of those mental health challenges. And then those individuals feeling dissuaded and not wanting to go into certain professions because they were saying, well, if this person never struggles with burnout, this isn't something I can do. So I think I need to opt and go elsewhere, which isn't is a fallacy in and of itself. So I think it speaks even to all the things that you talked about before, that what you've baked into culture and leading by example, that transparency, even as you talked about your initial experience, I believe it was in Zambia, having that transparency and vulnerability, how powerful that is, even in terms of the impact in the next generation. And I think even when the topic of burnout is such a sensitive topic that some people, it's almost... I have to take a play out of the, the playbook of individuals that take an autocratic position saying, I have to impose respites for some people because mm-hmm. they're going to keep running until the wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. And so I have to then put it in place that this is mandatory. This is necessary. You mm-hmm. have to do this. You can't come to work tomorrow. This needs to take place because, you know, 
because they're not seeing it mm-hmm. and or, or they're not accepting their human frailty. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a reality also for some leaders. Mm-hmm. And again, it ties into that whole cultural piece. If they came from a cultural background that says, you don't take time off. That's mm-hmm. not right. Yeah, that's wrong. And they look at it as a moral issue, ethical mm-hmm. issue, when it's not that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a lifestyle issue to say, I want sustainability in this. And I must be able to not only enjoy the work of my hand and the work of my mind, mm-hmm. but I must enjoy relationships and, and, and make sure I enjoy myself, that I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And again, I just think that speaks about your effectiveness as a leader as well. Um, you know, sometimes more of a delegate mode, sometimes more autocratic. And in that instance, I think the autocratic is so helpful to say this is something that you need and to lead by that example and to put into place. Um, in my own experience, I've seen people, in a sense, slowly incorporate that and then come back and say, oh, okay, I actually realized that I do need this. And to have the benefits of that after the fact, I think is is huge and tremendous. Yeah, it's, it's so important. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. Yeah. So I did want to incorporate because we had some questions from our audience as well, from our listeners. And I think you've actually touched on this pretty well, but just to, I'll just make sure that I state the question as well. But people are asking, you know, about all these aspects of either avoiding or kind of navigating through burnout, especially when they feel like more and more responsibilities are being added on kind of that sense that some people have that those who are doing good work then get given more work. And I know you've talked about this before, but you know, what would you say to that person who is either feeling the push because they have to, for instance, get promoted or move up, move up the line, or there's so many tasks in front of them. And again, if there's anything you want to add just to that person who is saying, I don't know how to incorporate this. And I think that what what I've seen leaders do is that Mm -hmm. they've negotiated responsibilities with their employers Mm -hmm. or their supervisors. Mm -hmm. In other words, if their supervisor says, this person's very effective, I need to give them this because I know they'll do a good job. Mm They then, the employee then has to be vocal in a respectful way and say, here's what I'm doing now. If I add this on my plate, something's going to give. So of these, let's say, 10 things that I'm carrying, what would you like me to give up in order to Mm. take on this 11th? What Mm. would you want me to, and put it back on the leader's, you know, the, the leader's plate. So the leader begins to think about priorities and timelines and what's mm-hmm. reasonable because sometimes they're not conscious of it because they're carrying mm-hmm. a whole big load themselves. <laughs> and, and I think the negotiation process mm-hmm. is important. And even yeah. with the advent of working from home, what I've seen some leaders do is the fact that they've said, look, part of my resp- I will not take any meetings before 8 a.m. because mm-hmm. I want to take my kid to school mm-hmm. and nothing's going to get in the way of that because I it's necessary for me to sit you know, to be in the car and have those conversations with my kids and to check in with them. And I don't want to, and, and they block out things. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the idea is to negotiate with your supervisors, mm-hmm. these realities and, and let them know that you're starting to see signs mm-hmm. of burnout in your own life. And mm-hmm. you don't want that to take place. And you tell them even, and it's, it's not cost effective to the company. So yeah. even if they only understand economics, they <laughs> make true. the conversation economical. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's really wise. Yeah. And I would say even a step further, one thing that I've noticed and been blessed is to actually have leaders sometimes take that initiative. So even oh, stepping yes. into new, new roles and having leaders say, do you need me to talk to the next supervisor online to ask them to remove something from your plate so that you can do this effectively and not be spread thin? So I 100% agree. And then yeah. from both sides, that's been really powerful to see as well. Yeah. And and you feel supported when that yeah. happens. Yeah. And, and, it, and it makes you enjoy mm-hmm. the workplace. And the workplace satisfaction increases because you see that people are genuinely concerned about you and your well-being and not just about the productivity mm-hmm. or your talent, so to speak. 
Yeah. Yeah. And again, it seems to just speak to the culture as yeah. well of the environment or the institution and, and really valuing people. So that's so true. That's so yeah. True. Yeah. Well, you've shared a lot of, of just practical information that's been really useful and perspectives as well, but I'm curious, are there any um, last words you'd really want to share with the listeners to encourage? Again, many who are listening who are in service roles or even in teams and trying to um, you know, meet the needs of those in their team and just all these different topics, anything you'd want to leave them with? I would just encourage them to look at the dashboard of their soul and to see where they are and check on your dashboard often. Is there an increase of cynicism? That's bad. Is If there's a decrease of creativity, that's bad. If there's an increase of empathy, that's good. Mm. A decrease of productivity, that's bad. So you look at mm. some of the things on the dashboard of your life, and it'll help you see where you are. And when you see things that are signs that are indicators, say, wait a second, that's not good. Take some time for yourself and recharge. It's really well said, really well said. I know that people are going to listen to this episode more than once just to soak in all the things that you and Chris Fund have mentioned. And it's been, it's been a pleasure to see the overlap and for both of you, just to see the ways that you're really incorporating this into who you are and how you're leading and how you're modeling and how you're also encouraging others to do the same. And so I'm hopeful that there'll be a ripple effect from this episode as well, as it were, and really appreciate the work that you're doing, your ministry and your time for being here as well. And I appreciate the broad perspective you've taken on this topic. Thank you so much. I of appreciate course. the opportunity.